0: There's some interesting stuff about this proverb, and I'll try not to geek out on you too much. So, um, but it's, 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 and a lot of Hebrew wisdom literature is made this way. Uh, it was made to be recited, to be chanted, to be memorized. And so uh, this proverb is 22 verses. Uh, there are 22 consonants in the Hebrew alphabet. So uh, the, the, the structure of the proverb... Uh, speaks to its completeness. So 22 verses, there's 22 consonants. The first 11 verses start with the first consonant, aleph, in the Hebrew uh, alphabet, and the, the second 11 start with the 11th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. They're divided into groups of 11, uh, and and each group of 11 has two four-verse stanzas with a three-verse conclusion. So we lose some of that when we go to English, but but it, anyway, I just think it's pretty cool. The idea behind it is it's a complete message. My son, here's what you must know. And if you remember the last few weeks that we've been in chapter one, the chapter one, it's a father bestowing to his son, and, and it's, it's quite a bit more passive in its nature. Uh, my dear son, listen, attune your ear, be attentive. Uh, this proverb is is much more active this proverb it's him saying wisdom is out there the knowledge of the Lord is out there God has made it available to you through his word and by his spirit go get it son I say son because I got three sons and they needed a lot of go get it talks (laughs) get after it I have probably told you too many times my dating advice to my sons. Just some of my dating advice. Don't date like a, like a turkey, date like a deer. We look at turkeys, we hunt turkeys. You see turkeys, the male turkey struts out in the middle and says, ladies, here I am. <laughs> what do you think about these feathers, girls? I mean, he barely holds himself together just trying to strut. I mean, that's what it's called. He struts back and forth. I said, boys, you're not that pretty. <laughs> Don't date like a turkey. Date like a buck. Set your mind and your course and pursue. Not in a creepy way, of course. <laughs> I said that before, and some guy's like, I tried that. It didn't work. I'm like, okay. <laughs> there maybe some other things to go on there, buddy. But uh, that, that's this Proverbs. So Proverbs 2 is he's now taking it to a more intense level. And as it closes in the 11 verses that that close out the, the proverb, you'll see why. You'll see why the father is so passionate. And as we talked about at the introduction, remember, these are the words of Solomon. And Solomon's sons were miserable failures. And it's super sad. And as you read this and you know the life of Solomon, you know that he is probably looking back at his own life. And he is just saying, son, learn from me and, and I, I can't overemphasize this it is it is necessary for christians to have multi-generational relationships all through the scripture the older is to teach the younger the older wives teach the younger wives the older men teach the younger men uh you're to have people ahead of you and people below you and um and this is it he's saying that to his son now he's speaking his words but but the context is telling us that son as i'm speaking my words to you i am a son of the heavenly Father. And that father has spoken to me. Remember, we looked at Solomon, and God said, I'm going to give you wisdom like no one before and no one after. I am giving it to you, and it makes absolute sense that if that's how the Bible describes him, that he would be the author of this profound book of wisdom. So Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. My son, if you receive my words... And treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. "...delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words." who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her path to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. God speaks to his son Solomon. Solomon speaks to his son. This is not just a boys only message. Please don't mistake that. The son as having authority was to be the head of a home, to be the head of a household, and to teach and nurture and love his family well. The son my child doesn't just need protection the child needs deep inward change i grew up having the scriptures taught to me and i still brought my first son into the world thinking my main job is just to keep him from bad people my main job is just to keep him from hanging out with naughty kids and then he became the naughty kid (laughs) And shocked me when he was bad and I remember thinking I thought we'd protected him from that I thought we've kept that from him and the scriptures teach that, that a child comes into the world a human being comes into the world not as a blank slate in fact the way to think about it is a human being comes into the world with a deadly disease a heart that is set on rebellion and selfishness A heart that says, I am going to be ruler of my own world. I am going to control my destiny. I am the most important person in this world. That's how a child comes in. And if you don't believe me, ask Tammy. She's been with our first granddaughter for about four days. And yesterday she was explaining to me how um, she had to discipline our little nine-month-old granddaughter. And she's like, she already knows when I say no what that means because she looks at me and she'll put her hand out to do something. I'm like, no, and she pulls it back. She waits. I'm not looking I'm like nobody taught her that that was bred into her. They come into the world fallen. All right. It's important that we grasp that, especially if you're going to have a kid, the, the, the children, human beings that come into the world Fallen. Now, we have known people, we've had people in our church that have had children that were born, and there's a birth defect, and it's obvious, and, and, and you don't blame the kid for it. You know, you're like, we, we've got to take him in, we've got to get the surgery done, we've got to get that done, we've got to do whatever we can possibly do to make this kid thrive and live. It is the absolute same with our souls. Our souls come believing in the religion of self. I am the most important person. Every bit of news that I receive, I first think, how does it affect me and mine? Jesus says that we must be born again. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they say, oh Lord, our stone hearts, they must be replaced by a heart of flesh. We are to be given a constant regiment of the gospel to keep from perverting to what everybody else has around us. An inoculation from the religion of self, from living as orphans, to living as children of God, chosen and ransomed and rescued. So here he moves from just listening to accepting, receiving, internalizing the wisdom of God, the fear of God, to know God. And I am afraid that many Christians today, we have become super lax in our pursuit of the knowledge of God. We just... We just don't think it as important as knowing things about our sports, as knowing things about our investments. We just, we just don't, we don't, we don't put it up there as this is the highest thing that my brain should be thinking about, concerned about, learning, reading, trusting, applying. It, it, it gets marginalized more and more. And then we find even in our culture, our subculture here, that there's a theology that's like once you're saved, the, the Spirit's in you and you don't need the Word anymore. God just has this relationship with you where He's just telling you stuff over and over again. And so, thanks for the Bible, but I don't need it anymore uh, because Jesus and me, we're, we're just driving down the highway together. And he's telling me what exit to take. Um, that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that all the Scriptures were given to us for our instruction. And if we're to have hope and if we're to have endurance and if we're to grow, if we're to mature, we must be students of the scriptures. But we're not in a habit of doing that. And I'm not sure why. It seems to me. I had to turn my phone off yesterday. My wife was like, hey, you got the sermon printed yet? I'm like, no. And then I sent her this long video from Facebook and I said, here's why. <laughs> She's like, where did you get that? Who like I didn't make it. It just showed up and it's awesome. And okay, honey, I love you. I'm turning my phone off now because I've got attention deficit. What's that over there disorder? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe we have not been persecuted enough. And so this idea that... that what i know about god it's fun I've, i'm saved i said them i said the, the prayer i said the magic spell uh, and i really believed it when i said it and so we're we're good um but we must pursue this knowledge of god so i'm dating myself but in the late 1980s fax machines uh came in 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 vogue and and um i i was managing a little office equipment store and we sold typewriters too it's hilarious huh Typewriters. Uh, we sold typewriters, adding machines, like there was a whole machine just to do addition. Um, and uh, fax machines came. And I remember, seriously, this is how idiotic I was. I remember thinking FedEx is about to go out of business. FedEx because all, all you saw FedEx would do would be, oh, I've got this loan document. I need to have it signed. It needs to be there tomorrow and it's 20 bucks, but isn't it amazing? They'll fly it from here to Memphis to wherever and someone will get it tomorrow. And, and people would come in that were spending thousands of dollars on FedEx and I would tell them, hey, look at this machine. You put one of these machines in your office, you put one of these machines in someone else's office, you don't need FedEx anymore. And so I remember when we got the first one that came in. I took it home for the weekend. I was still living at home with my folks, uh, working my way through college. And dad said, what's that? I said, it's a fax machine, dad. And I'm gonna know more about this machine than anybody else in this city. And I realized that with office equipment, that you, you, there, was a, there was a season where something was new, where they would go to a specialty store. So it was before you bought computers on the internet, you would go to a store and someone would tell you, this printer works with that and, and, and all of that. And I remember thinking, I'm going to know more about this because it's important. I'm going to learn as much as I can about this. I'm going to read the manual. I know, I am a man, and I read a manual. I'm going to read a manual because of its benefit. The writer here is saying, Oh, my son, to know God is the treasure that you must pursue. Uh, on all the different metaphors that are woven throughout here that is at the heart of it to know our god to know the more you know about him he is inexhaustible we will never fully comprehend or know him in this life we look forward to an eternity with him where our minds will be blown over and over and over again at his greatness at his holiness his purity the gospel the fact that we've, we've been brought to him those things will overwhelm us but in this life it says study to know me we call the term metanoia the change in one's life as a way uh, resulting usually from some spiritual penitence penitent penitence or a spiritual conversion uh, Iris Murdoch writes in her book metaphysics as a guide to morals moral change Comes from an attention to the world whose natural result is a decrease in egoism through an increased sense of the reality of someone or something. So the world is, is the, the change comes in a person's morals uh, because their world gets bigger. They they, in a sense, become a smaller part of the world. You know, I told you this, and my daughter would say things. Sometimes I would just look at her, and I would do this, right? She would she would say something, and I I didn't even have to say anything. She got so used to it, and in fact, sometimes she would say something to me, and she'd look at me, and she'd go, "I know, I know." And I would say, Anna, this is you, and this is the world. <laughs> You are wanting everything in this world and this family to just rotate around you. You want to be the center of it all. Uh, Iris Murdoch is saying that, that morality changes when we have an increased sense of reality of someone or something. She goes on, change of being is not brought about by straining and willpower, but a long, deep process of unselfing. A long, deep process of unselfing. She wrote this 30 years ago, way before we had selfie sticks. First time, time my buddy took a selfie. We were eating lunch, and he hands his phone to the waitress. He goes, hey, will you take a selfie of us? And she's like, that's not a selfie. (laughs) I said, said, yeah, but that's just a picture. Oh, okay, what's a selfie? Like, you got to do it yourself. Uh, Interesting, 30 years ago, she says that, that our, our moral fiber will grow in this process of unselfing and a reality of someone or something. And so uh, Solomon here is telling his son, the reality of who God is must uh, super exceed all other realities. The reality that he, he exists God becomes more and more real. The more you know him, son, the more you will fear him. So the sermon is sentence this morning. The Christian must accept, receive, and internalize the teaching of the scriptures in order to experience the abundant life. Eternal life for the believer starts now. And we must accept, receive, internalize. What God's word says, it says to me. It is for me. It is to affect the way I think. It is to affect what I love. It is to affect my affections. And so uh, in this proverb, first 11 verses, how will the son's character, how is it going to be developed? The father says, here's how your character is going to be developed. Here's the process by which I pray you will become a man of God. By which, son, I'm going to turn the the kingdom over to you. This is the process by which you will become a man that I can place the kingdom in. When my boys, and I'm talking about them a lot this morning because it is father-son stuff. When my boys thought they were ready to date, I looked at them and I said, you know how much I love your sister? Until you're the type of man who I would let your sister go out with. Until you're that type of man, I will not allow you to take a young lady out. You must be the type of man that I would trust to take your sister out and to care for her, to protect her, to keep her from evil. Until you're that type of man, I will not let you take out a young lady. The writer here is saying, oh son, I want you to become the kind of man that that I can give the kingdom to. I can trust all this wealth all this knowledge all this power and so the first 11 verses how is your character going to be developed and then the second 11 verses what will this do to protect my son now remember proverbs is not necessarily to be considered as a book of promises uh, as much as observations Um, here's what i've noticed here's what i've seen here is what is common to man um, and so it starts with this big conditional statement, this big if statement. Oh, one other thing I want to tell you about English teachers. This proverb is one sentence. Yeah, one sentence in the Hebrew. Now, when, when they translate it, it's broken down into different sentences. But again, in its completeness, it's this beautiful poetic work to his son that he hoped he would memorize. It's one big, long sentence. And it starts with this big condition. If you receive my words, if you treasure my words commandments, if you believe these things. So uh, it's kind of an if-so-then process. Um, and, and again, people make these statements about God. I hear, I talk to people who are angry at God. They expect him to do certain things, and they've never studied God. They, they'd say, I like to think of him this way. And I'm like, well, how does he like to think of you? How do I like to think of you? And why do you think this way? Well, someone said this, or I like, I watched the show. Go to the word that He's given us. Uh, Receive my words. Verse 1. My words come to you, Son, from God Himself. Receive them, internalize, accept them, put into practice, treasure them. uh, Verse 2. Incline your heart. To understanding. He uses heart a couple times in this proverb. And and it is used heart, and he also uses soul in here. It is used really as the as the the bed, the epicenter of our affections. What am I drawn to? What do I love? He says you've got to receive this wisdom into your heart. You've got to love the wisdom of God. Verse 3: you're to call out for it, you're to raise your voice god help me if you don't do that regularly you're missing out if you don't regularly just before you go to bed or when you get up in the morning get on your knees lord help me help me be wise in my dealing with this 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 oh father protect me from this 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 call out for his understanding and you do this as you read his word Right, the, the writer here is expecting that his son is going to, to read all of the narrative of the Old Testament. He's going to read the Psalms, most of them from David. He's going, to, he's going to have that. He's going to read it and say, what do I do with this stuff? Are these just stories? No, they're not stories. They're showing how our God interacts with people. They're showing what he loves. They're showing the consequences of our sin and our wandering. Call out forth, seek it like silver, like hidden treasure. Right, we've all seen that. A, a, a mine, there's a, there's a little shaft of silver in the mine. They don't just take that, do they? No, they, they excavate everything because there might be more. And so the writer here is saying, it's going to be work. When I was teaching the youth class a few weeks back, a few months back. I said sometimes when I sit down with youth, I want to make it fun and exciting and keep your attention. But sometimes there's just things you've got to know. There's things you got to know. You can't imagine a doctor going to med school and and the professor at medical school saying, well, this isn't really fun, but we really do need to know how the heart works. Okay? So uh, we're going to do a little craft and a flannel graph. And, um, you know, everybody gets a popsicle. No! He's going to say, here's the book! Read it. Know it. Life depends on it. Seek it. It's work. It's effort. It's discipline. It's amazing that in Matthew 22, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, and He says, you're wrong. They're arguing about the resurrection. You're wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. If you knew the Scriptures and the power of God, you would know who I am. So that's the first first four verses. He's to internalize. He's to receive and search His parents' teaching, the teaching that comes from God. Uh, Second is the sow. If you internalize, if you receive it, if you accept it, then you will live in the fear and the knowledge of God. That's that second stanza, verses 5 to 8. Verse 5, you'll understand the fear of the Lord. You will respect, value, worship, cherish, honor, and obey. You will fear it in a sense that it is something that has the greatest value. That it is the last thing you want to lose. When the house goes down in flames, it's the first thing you run to and say everything else can be rebuilt. Everything else can be uh, replaced. But the fear of God to know Him is vitally important. He says, then you will know that. It it will become part of you. You will know me. You will fear me. Verse 6, and he says, because it's the Lord that gives wisdom. God is the one that imparts it to you. It is a gift of God, as we read in the confession this morning. Faith is a gift of God, and so is wisdom. And we pray to our Lord for it, but we don't pray for it in a vacuum. We pray to our Lord for it while we're holding his scriptures. Lord, make these scriptures real to me. Help me understand. Help me remove the filters of selfishness and ego from my eyes and read these words and this promise and come before you in great honesty. The Lord gives wisdom. Verse 7, and he stores it up. I love it. You, get it. you get the sense that he's treating wisdom like this commodity. But in some ways it is. Um, he stores it up. So you'll be reading things, and you may be reading things and studying things and learning things about our God that, that come into play 10 years from now. That's what he's saying. It'll never be wasted. It's in store for you. It won't happen quickly. It won't happen overnight. It is a slow-growing discipline. It is pruning and growth. It is dry seasons and watering with the Word. You'll get it, but but it'll be stored up. And hopefully, son, when you're old, you'll be able to to pass it on to someone else. Verse 8, "...it will guard your path." and watch over your way. Path and way are used in this proverb and throughout the proverbs. And probably if, if Solomon had trains, he probably would have said train track because that's the concept. He's saying that it's a path, it's a rutted road that was muddy and the carts have gone through it so much that once the cart gets on it, it's not going to come off it. Like that amusement park ride where the kids driving a car and they think they're driving it but then it hits the thing and keeps bringing them back that's what he's saying uh, son you will have a path set out before you that will be well marked and will be well traveled and you will say i feel this way or i feel this way but i know this is right i know i can trust the god who's gone before me i know i can trust all that he has taught me and all that's gone before i know i can trust the people who have mentored me loved for me prayed for me Uh, It will guard your path, Bruce Waltke says. The easy, uh, um, the truthful life is straight, smooth, well lit, open, and public. The paths of death are crooked, rough, in deep gloom, and secretive. The righteous life, straight, smooth, well-lit, open, and public. The path of death, crooked, rough, and deep gloom, and secretive. Then he concludes this first half with the then statement. Then he will continue to learn righteousness intuitively. The righteousness of God and the wisdom of God will bless all aspects of his life. Verse 9, you'll understand righteousness. You'll understand justice. You'll understand every good path. Verse 10, it will enter your heart and it will be pleasant to your soul. Verse 11, you will have discretion You will make wise decisions. You will choose between the right and the wrong. You will choose the right, even if everyone else around you is choosing the wrong. You will have discretion to know this path is the right path. When I was in uh, 10th grade, I thought I was pretty good at basketball. Nowhere nearly as good as my older brother, but he's a freak. I was pretty good for my size, my age. and I remember going to high school, we'd drive every day. He's a freak, you've met my brother, he's a freak. Yeah, giant like Neanderthal. Uh, anyway, uh, and I would drive past and there was a guy's house in the middle school and he would be out there every morning before school shooting baskets. He had one of those baskets that sat on the side of the, of the roof of the garage, you know, and somebody's ball would get stuck up behind that. He, every morning before school, shooting free throws, layups, free throws, jump shots. Coming back, layups, free throws, jump shots. I didn't know who the kid was. Uh, 11th grade year, that kid moved up into the high school, so we had 10th, 11th, and 12th. And um, we were open gym, and um, I was like, yeah, I'm probably five inches taller than this guy. Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll play you one-on-one. The kid flat smoked me. Like if I, if, I, if I came up close, blew past me. If I gave him the shot, made every one. I think it was like 21 to two or something. I mean, just, just killed me. Why? Because he laid out a path, consistent over and over and over and over again. And he, he's like, yeah, I live over here. I'm like, oh, you're that kid. <laughs> you're that kid. Uh, It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen because he was genetically gifted. It happened because he applied himself to something that he thought was important, that he thought was worthwhile. That's what our God is calling us to do as his sons. He's saying that all that you learn about me and the knowledge from the word, the religious will become your ethical knowledge, that it will be conjoined to how you live in every aspect. And then the second half, and we'll go through it quickly, really is what will this do to protect my son? And these concepts will be in the rest of the Proverbs. In fact, the part about the wicked women, um, there's more verses about the wicked women than there is about anything else in Proverbs. There are more warnings to the son about the woman or the women that he spends time with than any other thing. You know, I like to listen to Dave Ramsey. I, I... listen to him and listen to another, another group of guys called the money guys, uh, listen to their podcasts. And it just so happened that one week while I was riding my bicycle, they had their millionaire theme hour on the Ramsey show. And uh, the money guys also had eight ways to keep from being impoverished. Uh, on the millionaire theme hour, all they do is they just, in, he just interviews people. They call in and, uh, and you know, they say, how much did you make? Did you inherit your money? Uh, how much are you worth? How did you get it? Um, And then he always asked him this question, what are the top five things you would tell somebody who wants to end up where you are? On that Millionaire Theme Hour, there are five people. Four of the five said the number one was the spouse. Choose your spouse wisely. There's 65 verses in Proverbs about a son choosing a spouse. 65. You think Solomon, who loved many foreign women, and they drew his heart away from the Lord in his older years, you think he learned the hard way? Son, son, if I can pass this on to you, watch who you fall in love with. So he says here's these two things. First, in verses 12 to 15, Son, then you'll be delivered from wicked men. And again, there's a lot in Proverbs about wicked men. It already started in the first one. Uh, They offer an easier way for money, easier way for pleasure, for sex. Um, It's the default drive of a man. It's the default way a man thinks. I will take what's mine. I will prove myself by my strength and my resource. It's the default setting that our God wishes to transform into something that is beautiful, that is protective, that is loving, that is sacrificial, that is caring. Son, you'll be delivered from them. Men of perverted speech who hide things, who live in darkness, they rejoice in evil. They don't like the path of righteousness, they make fun of it. Son, the way that you are to be delivered from them is to know me. It's not just enough to say, son, don't do that. Son, you've got to have, you have a, a love and affection that's greater than the love and affection that they offer. And so that's the first, uh, first four verses, 12 to 15. Uh, 16 to 19, then you'll also be delivered from the wicked women. And, and the hard thing about this text is the woman he is describing here is a covenant breaker. You know, it's a woman who had put her heart after the Lord. Son, be careful. She leaves the companion of her youth, and her way leads to death. Oh, my son, guard your affections. Parents, curtail and direct your children's affections. They're learned. Love and affection is learned. Advertisers are trying to get us to believe that this product will make our life better that that product will make our life better parents guard your children's affections what they watch what they dream about guard them guard your own our affections don't just happen by surprise they have been carefully carefully sold to us this will protect my son from wicked, wicked men, wicked women. And verse 20 to 22, O son, your path will lead to an abundant life. And again, something that's common in Scripture, this promise, this covenantal promise, Israel, I'm giving you this land. And, and as the unfolding of God's covenant, he says, here are the things you must do if you're to stay in this land. Uh, sometimes people look at the um, conquest of canaan and they say oh you know the christian god is is just like the the god of the muslims you know he they wiped people out and yet the lord talks about that land the land being so horrible he says that the land actually vomited out its inhabitants that what was going on in there and and remember this christian because i I met with someone last week and they're like well we know everything's going to get worse You know, it's just gonna be worse, worse, worse. So we Christians just need to build up a wall and protect ourselves and keep our kids away from this and that. I'm like, that's that's not what the scriptures teach me. Scriptures teach me that we'll inherit the land. Scriptures teach me that that he's going to cleanse all of this. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and our God's dwelling will be with us. And he inherit the land. And we see again where we stand in reference to the scripture. We can see that he was absolutely right. God was very patient with his people over about 1400 years. And finally, the land vomited them out. Why? Because they, came, they became just like the people that were before them. They sacrificed their own children. They had fertility gods. They had cult prostitutes. You read the book of Ezekiel and you wonder about our God's patience to a people that received a land by His gracious hand. So what does this mean for us? It means, um, (laughs) as the modern prophet says, uh, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. (laughs) There's time. But the Christian life is a life of commitment, perseverance, and work. Study, accountability... And above all, living in this grace of God. We must know Him. He has provided His Word and His Spirit. We must be students of His Word. Then we will understand the right way, the true way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this instruction. May we take it as a loving Father to His adoring children. We are so easily pulled in all these manner of directions, Father. Help us to not look back 10 years from now and say, oh, I wish I would have heeded God's instruction. Oh, I wish I would have paid more of a mind to what I was in love with, what I sought after, what I was running after, what I thought would make me feel special. Oh, I wish I would have studied my god i wish i would have been a student of his word not that i might be proud but that i might know the lover of my soul and i might learn from the mistakes of all the saints that have gone before us that i might walk a path of righteousness and fullness of life Lord, we pray that you would make this so we thank you that you forgive us our sins and our waywardness You are constantly calling us back to your side. We thank you, Father, for that. Please don't let us wander, Father. Please use whatever means possible when we stray. When we are led subtly away, oh Lord, will you cause us to fall on our knees and return to this right path. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Help us, Father, for the glory of your great name. Amen.